0: Good evening. How's everybody doing? Fine. How about stand with me? Glad you're with us online tonight. Thank you for joining us, uh, Brother John. Would you mind shutting that door? Those people make faces out there at me, so it's <laughs> it is good to be home again on Wednesday night. Back up here, I certainly miss being here. Everybody doing okay, I guess. Good week. Still praying for rain. Uh, still praying for revival. But uh, anyway, let's open up prayer. How many have a need tonight? You'll just signify by lifting your hand. If you're online tonight, if you'll comment, we want to pray with you as well. Let's do remember those in, uh, in the path of uh, the hurricane uh, making landfall. I've got some relatives in, uh, uh, in the Fort Myers, Sarasota area uh, where it's coming across now. Uh, people that are stuck. In fact, some of you know uh, Dr. Richardson, uh, Michael Richardson, my buddy. Uh, he is at DFW Airport because he can't get home. So I'm gonna run up and uh, and check on him and make sure he's he's good to go. And uh, but uh, let's just pray, Father. Tonight we're so grateful to be able to come together and study your word. I thank you that we can come and just the freedom of assembly, just to come together and worship you and to study your word, Lord. I pray uh, tonight for all of the needs that were represented here tonight, those that are online. God, I thank you that you're big enough. For each and every situation, Lord, I thank you that you're our healer, you're our redeemer, you're our deliverer. Uh, Lord, you're our our companion, you're that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Lord, thank you that you're our provider, our healer. Lord, all of these things that we need, Lord, you are the I am truly. And I pray, Father, for those that need healing, Lord, just grant it. I pray, Father, for those that are having tests that are being run, those that uh, have tests that are waiting on results, Lord, I pray that you would just step in and Lord, just do what only you can. I pray, Father, for uh, all the ministries on campus tonight that you would be exalted in every uh, area. Lord, I pray for uh, the people in, in, in the hurricane's path. Uh, Lord, I pray for safety. Uh, Lord, but I pray uh, above all that through tragedy you bring triumph. Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, that even uh, even now that let there be stories of just how uh, you miraculously intervene and protect and save and restore. And Father, we pray for revival in our land. Uh, Lord, as we uh, certainly live in these dark times, Lord, we pray that you would just uh, ignite the embers of our heart, let the flames of revival burn in each of us. Lord, we pray for that for our nation. Now, be with us tonight, I pray, in our study. Open our hearts and let us hear what the Spirit says. We commit it to you now in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. 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 God bless you. you. May be seated tonight. Uh, again, so good to be home and uh, I know it was in good hands, uh, I'm still working on the jet lag, um, just about over it, uh, my eyes about, so if I not off, I'm, I apologize, I'm really working hard, <laughs> no, I won't nod off, I promise you, but it's amazing, it's just been, you know, when you're gone, you get back, it's just crazy, just so much to do, and so much catching up, and of course, this is the first time in almost 30 years that I've ever been gone like that, uh, I, I don't typically enjoy that, I miss maybe one. You know, some guys like to go and not preach. I'm not those that guy. I like to preach. I enjoy preaching. I enjoy, uh, you know, it's who he called me to be. And to miss almost the entire month of September is, number one, a rare thing. It may happen in another 30 years if the Lord, tar- actually, I wish the Lord come back before then, right? Uh, but uh, anyway, it, again, we're going to try to put together a slide presentation, just kind of give you an idea of what we were doing uh, the team that was there, just such a great team and got a lot done. Uh, it is a needy project. Uh, the 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 refugees that are coming over from Ukraine, just in Poland, uh, 500 plus a day. And, uh, and of course, you can imagine they're in other areas. That's just one area, Poland, uh, other areas, Warsaw, places like that, and then on into Romania uh, and to Moldova and other places. So again, continues to be a major, major crisis. Uh, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 12. While you're turning there, I do want to remind you of a couple of things. Number one, we start a brand new sermon series this coming Sunday entitled The 11th Hour. We're going to be talking about end time events. Uh, you, you know, when I, I grew up in a time when, when biblical prophecy was a pretty typical sermon. You know, I mean, you heard about it uh, several times throughout the year, and that was our hope. If you fast forward to where we are now, you don't hear a whole lot about it with the exception I mean we we talk about it a lot. I'm one of those guys I, I probably have talked through the Book of Revelation three times in my tenure here. Uh, I believe in 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 prophecy uh, it's there for a reason, uh, but there's not a lot there doesn't seem to be a lot of of enthusiasm about the return of the Lord. We need to change that because that is our hope. you know it's not a better it's not a better election cycle. Uh, not better politicians. Lord knows we need them, but it's not about that. It's it's about the return of the Lord, and and that is is the hope of the church. So we start that on Sunday, and then on the I'm losing my dates. What's the next Sunday? The ninth. Is it the ninth? Okay. So on the ninth is our our uh, uh, what do we call that? Fall family fun day. That is right after service, ten forty-five service. We're going to have again. It's a day just to come and fellowship, the koinonia, have a good time of fellowship. We have three. uh, We have three food trucks that will be here to to uh, sell lunch. We're trying to get the menus uh, uh, narrowed down so that we can publish that and you can see what's available. We have three food trucks. We have bounce houses for the kids. We got horseshoes. Um, We just just a time to fellowship. Fellowship is important. And and I really think as we see the day getting darker, um not not you know, not climate wise, but as we see the spiritual condition, we need each other. We need to fellowship outside of the normal meeting times that we have. And so that's coming up and, and I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh wear your jeans. Uh you know, some have asked about wearing your uh jerseys, your sport I, whatever. I don't I don't care. As long as it's Alabama, we're good. Um, but uh <laughs> Uh, it's kind of funny in Poland, had somebody I had my Alabama hat on, somebody yelled, "Roll tide!" So it is a global thing. It is a global thing. Now you understand. Uh, anyway, so let's get right into our teaching tonight. We, uh, uh, this is going to be a real short series, obviously, four weeks. <laughs> um, but we're going to be talking about what I, I titled "The Encounter: Four Women Who Met Jesus: Four Women Who Met Jesus Tonight." We're going to be ta- <coughs> looking at the story of Mary of Bethany, Mary Bethany. So, so John chapter twelve, beginning verse number one says, "Then six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, uh, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. Wouldn't that be an interesting dinner conversation? There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one who was uh, one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary." took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance of oil. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared. Notice what it says here. Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this from the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. And we'll stop there. May the Lord add his blessing to his word tonight. Now, again, as we we take this journey tonight, we start looking at these four specific women who encountered Jesus. Now, the word encounter is an interesting word. The word encounter uh, literally means to, to... Uh, It means an unexpected experience with someone or something. That's an encounter. Uh, If you're walking through, uh, you know, an airport or walking through a mall and you run across somebody, you have an encounter with them. Uh, Sometimes those encounters can be good, right? And sometimes not so good. Uh, So that's kind of the idea, the word encounter. These four women encountered someone who impacted their lives, and, and, again, whether it's on the positive side or the negative side, every one of us who have, had encounters, with, have in, had encounters with people, they've left a mark on us. Again, some for the good, some not so good. Now, you think about teachers. Uh, you know, there are some teachers that as you grow up through elementary and, and junior high and high school, you have encounters with them, and they make an impression, uh, and some not so much. Again, it's the same thing with, with, with life itself. Now, one of the things that we notice from Scripture is that whenever a person encounters Jesus, they're never the same. Now, think about that. When you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, whenever you see someone who has an encounter with Christ, they are never the same. And I, and I, and I believe one of the sad commentaries of modern church is that we have, we have factored out the encounter with Jesus. That, that, that we become so program-driven, time-conscious that we have actually uh, left little room to encounter Jesus and experience the transformative power of Christ. Again, you can challenge that, but I, I would say look around at Christendom today, and again, a lot of our services are so packed with elements that we don't have room to encounter Jesus. But it's the encounter that we need. It's the encounter that transforms our lives. It's the encounter with Jesus that 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 empowers us to do what we normally cannot do. Again, I think much of the shallowness of modern Christendom is because few people have truly encountered him, and therefore they're not transformed by him. I was reading a little bit before service tonight, and I was reading a statistic about uh, some of the modern church dilemmas that we're in, and it's talking about like 40 Forty-five percent of of people who call themselves evangelical Christians do not believe in the deity of Christ. Well, how in the world would you call yourself an evangelical Christian if you don't believe in the deity of Christ? Uh, You know, it just kind of boggles my mind. And yet part of the shallowness of modern Christendom is because we don't factor in times of transformation and encounters with Christ. It is the ca- encounters that makes the transformation. It is the encounters that make the difference. You know, as we begin tonight, again, we're going to look at four different ladies. But as we look at our text tonight, here's kind of the, here's kind of the context. Jesus is going to a dinner party, okay? So, so he's on his way to a dinner party in Bethany. And among the guests there at this party is Lazarus. Now, now it's interesting because not long ago, and in the text even points that out, he'd been dead. You know, not long before this event, he had been dead, and then Jesus raised him back to life. Now, no doubt that maybe that's the reason for the dinner party. Maybe they were holding a celebration service in honor of Lazarus being raised from the dead, and they invite Jesus who uh, to come to this event. Uh, again, it, it, from looking at it, it appears that this dinner party is given in his honor, thanking him for raising Lazarus. John also notes that Lazarus was reclining at the table with Jesus. It was he who sat there by Jesus. I, I kind of pondered this question. What do you think they talked about? You know, I, I mean, in my mind, I mean, inquire minds want to know, right? I mean, what, are they, what do you talk about with someone who was raised from the dead? Do you ask, what did it feel like? Or did you see a bright light? <laughs> or, or something like that. I mean, you know, talk about an interesting conversation. That's not a normal topic for dinner party. I mean, how often do we get to sit at the table with someone who was dead for four days and then all of a sudden was brought back to life? Uh, so he's one of the guests there. Again, if you kind of go through the list there, there are people there. And, uh, uh, you know, so, so you, you have Lazarus, you have Mary, you have Jesus, you have the disciples, and in particular you have Judas Iscariot. These are all party, uh, are, are all our guests, I guess I would, I would say better. They're guests of this party, and they're having this dinner party, but that's only part of the story of having Lazarus there. Uh, at some point during the night, the Bible says that Mary did something so startling that it literally shocked his top men. She did something that was not culturally normal. Uh, she broke the, cust- the normal uh, societal norms and did something uh, that his disciples could not understand. They couldn't believe what they were seeing. In fact, every part of what she did bothered them. Every part of what she did bothered them. That's why the story appears in three of the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and in John, because it bothered them. You see, Mary knew Jesus in a way that the disciples didn't. She had a perception about her. In fact, when you think about, I know that that the Bible teaches that God places a lot of responsibility on, on manhood. And that's not sexist at all. I know in our culture today, uh, people want to, you know, you got to be careful. But, I, but the Bible is not sexist. But the Bible does place a lot of responsibility on men. On men. But if you look at the history, where would the church be without our women? Without our ladies who have done where men have faltered, the ladies have stepped up to the plate and have done incredible things. So, so Mary was spiritually perceptive. She knew Jesus in a way that her disciples did not. And she clearly had an understanding of what was about to take place when Jesus entered Jerusalem not many days from what was going on right there. If she didn't know all the details, she knew that trouble was brewing. And, and so this night was going to be a special night. She knew that Jesus was going to die. So she prepared a gift for Jesus, again, that shocked the disciples But the reality is Jesus loved it. Jesus absolutely loved what she did. In our text tonight, John writes, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was and the one he had raised from the dead. And they gave this dinner party for him. There Martha was serving them. Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table. So picture this. It's Saturday night, okay, in Bethany, a small village near Jerusalem. In just a few hours, Jesus will be entering into Jerusalem riding on a donkey to the masses of people, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the palm branches and the cloaks that are being laid down for the donkey to walk. And just a few hours from this event, that's what will unfold. Soon he'll cleanse the temple. He'll curse the fig tree. He'll teach in the temple courts. Or the temple courts. He'll confront the rising tide of hatred from the religious leaders. So that was what was in front of him. So this night, this Saturday night, this would be the last joyful night that he would have. Think about that. Because the next day, he begins his final journey to the cross. So tonight they celebrate. Tomorrow he enters Jerusalem, and six days later, he's hanging on a cross. That's what's significant about this story. Now, reading this story, with all of the guests that were there, we're going to settle on two people, Mary and Judas, two people. Mary never says a word, but Judas says too much. <laughs> one reveals her heart by what she does, the other one by what he says. Again, it's often said that you can tell a lot by about a person by watching what they do, you can also tell a lot about a person by listening to what they say. Because remember, the Bible says it's out of the abundance of the heart, what happens? The mouth speaks. You know, you hear people today excusing bad language or, or, or insults and, and, and criticisms and gossip by saying, oh, I didn't really mean that. Well, no, you did, because you cannot speak it unless it comes out of your heart first. That's just that's what the Bible teaches. It's in there. It's going to come out. I I've got a book in my office. I forget who the author is, but it shows this. Uh, the The cover it's kind of cool. It has Godzilla, on the on the cover, and the title of the book is "It Came From Within." <laughs> and, and that's true. I mean, so so the two characters we focus on, Mary and, and Judas. Judas again speaks too much. Mary doesn't say a word, but she reveals her heart by what she does, and Judas reveals his heart by what he says. So let's focus on two questions that help us with this story, this encounter. Number one, what did Mary, uh, what Mary did? Let's look at what Mary did. Verse three says, then Mary took a pound of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard. spikenard is what many translations say. Anointed Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, so the house was filled with fragrance of the oil. Now, Spikenard, what is that? Nard. Nard was, a, it, it's an interesting thing. It's still, it's still around today, by the way. Spikenard is still something that you can buy. Uh, nard, in this particular case, was an oil extracted from the root of a nard plant grown in India. So this was an import. Normally, this type of oil came from the Himalayan regions. So it was an imported oil. So as you can imagine, it was expensive. John says, and in fact, he notes that it's very expensive. A pound of nard went for about 300 denarii, according to Judas. Uh, it means that it costs the equivalent of nine months' salary for a working man in Jesus' day. That's a pretty expensive bottle of spice, right? I mean, it's kind of hard for us to fathom that kind of expense. I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to pay $60 for a bottle of cologne. I mean, that's like 60 bucks? Man, just give me that old spice. Twelve ninety nine. If you wear Old Spice, I'm not messing with you. I promise. But it, it's kind of hard. It's kind of hard to think or uh, think about it properly, or put it in context. It, in today's terms, it would be like spending twenty five thousand dollars on a taco meal. Which, by the way, is doable. Do you know the most expensive meal in the world is? It is a special taco in Mexico. That costs $25,000. A taco. I'm sure it has real meat in it. <laughs> I mean, who does that? <laughs> I mean, really, you can, pay, you can pay a lot of bills with $25,000, right? Man, you go on a nice vacation for $25,000. But so, so here's what she does. I mean, not only does she have this jar of expensive oil, She also takes that expensive oil and pours it on the feet of Jesus. Now, they didn't have socks back then. Okay? They walked around the dirt with their sandals. They had stuff on their feet. And she takes this $25,000 bottle of oil and dumps it on, I'm just going to say it, his smelly feet. And the Bible says, the fragrance filled the house. Have you ever dropped a bottle of perfume or cologne in the bathroom and then the odor just emanated from there out? I'm sure it smelled wonderful. It ought to smell good, right, for all that money, (laughs) I'm sure. So the question begs to answer is this, was it too much? In thinking about how much it cost, was it too much? Isn't that a bit extravagant, to take something so expensive and to pour out on the feet of Jesus, well, it, to answer that question, it all depends. It all depends. Extravagant is the word that most preachers would use when they describe this particular event here. They talk about her extravagant love and her extravagant gift. And again, it seems appropriate. You know, if you take nine months' salary, say in today's language, nine months' salary, maybe that's 35 to 45,000 dollars. OK? So is it extravagant to take 35, dollars $45,000 worth of perfume and dump it on somebody's feet? Well, that's how the disciples looked at it. That's how they looked at it. So the question is, was her gift extravagant? Well, I, 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 I was curious to find out because extravagant is in the eye of the beholder, You ever thought, it really is in the eye of the the beholder. So I started digging today. I wanted to find out some expensive things. Now, you don't have to go very far to find what the elites spend their money on. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, we we elevate and glorify Hollywood types and athletes and all these things. One Hollywood star rented a yacht for $400,000 per week to go on a selling spree. Almost a half million dollars a week. Get out on a boat. Can you imagine? The yacht came with all kinds of fancy adornment. It had world-class amenities, but is four hundred thousand dollars per week? Is that extravagant? Well, for me, it is. For me, it's a little bit dense. You know, give me a Skeeter, <laughs> a Royal Caribbean room, and I'm okay. But you know what? For somebody worth $220 million, that's probably not a lot. Again, that's where I'm saying it's in the eye of the beholder. He probably didn't think very much about it when he wrote the checkout. Oh, it's just $400,000 a week? <laughs> not too bad. That's a pretty good bargain. Well, if you have $220 million, it probably is. Did you know that the most expensive hotel room in the world goes for $100,000 Per night. Per night. Just to close your eyes in a bed and sleep. $100,000. It, it's in the United States. It's Empathy Suites at the Palm Casino Resort in Las Vegas. $100,000 a night. It comes with 24-hour butler service, chauffeured car, a private tour of the hotel, uh, their art uh, collection, and $10,000 in casino credit. Listen, when I travel, I look for the Hampton, Holiday Inn Express, Not $100,000 a night. Listen, maybe the Hilton every once in a while. That's about as fancy as I get. The most expensive bottle of wine in the world sold for $558,000. Is that extravagant? Here's one more. Do you know what the most expensive car ever sold was? It was a 1956 Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. It sold for $142,000. Million dollars. <laughs> when we were in Mexico back in, I lose track. December, uh, January, one of the J months, June. <laughs> uh, back in June on family vacation, we 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 vacationed in Cabo San Lucas. We've been going down there for almost twenty years, and it's built around the harbor, and so you got all these ships or boats that come in. And we noticed this yacht, this this I mean, this thing was almost as big as a cruise ship, but it was a private yacht. And of course, my daughter has got this inquiring mind. She said, Dad, I wonder who owns that. And I'm like, It's not me. So she pulls it up, and that the register, the name of the of the yacht, was registered to a guy from Brazil. The yacht cost hundred and sixty million dollars, and it cost two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a week to operate. All right. Had a helicopter on the back of it. I mean, it was it was nice. Most expensive car, one hundred and forty-two million dollars. Listen, that seems like a lot of money to me. Whoever bought it, though, I promise you, probably thought it was a good investment. Probably thought it was a good investment. I mean, the stories we could talk about the lavish uh, the lavish lifestyles of the rich and famous, million dollar million dollar perfume, gold plated toilets air conditioned dog houses and such we have to ask, are are these things extravagant i think most of us here would probably say yeah they are but again extravagance is in the eye of the beholder when we talk about being something or something being extravagant we're always talking about someone else usually someone who is a lot richer than we are how much is too much well again that's kind of hard to answer everyone agrees i mean think about this the taj mahal right Everybody's heard of the Taj Mahal in India? One of the wonders of the world. It was built in 1632 uh, in memory of his third wife who died in childbirth. What would it cost to replace that today? How would you, and and again, how would you replace something irreplaceable? One internet source estimated that the value, uh, uh, put the value at $10 billion to $1 trillion on that that piece of property. $10 billion to $1 trillion much is too much. Here's the thing, whatever else we may say about Mary, Mary's gift did not seem extravagant to her, did not in any way raise an eyebrow to her. She wasn't trying to show off, okay? You read that from the context. She wasn't trying to show off or she was not trying to flaunt or make some statement about her wealth. Well, it's not what she was doing. In fact, Jesus points out that Judas objected to this He called it wasteful extravagance, wasteful extravagance. But but Matthew and Mark, you have to read that later, but in Matthew and Mark, in their account of it, it it makes the inference that the disciples joined in in his skepticism. So in other words, John just records Judas saying, hey, why is she wasting this? But Matthew and Mark say the other guys were a party to that as well. They thought the same thing, that this was an unnecessary waste of a product that could be sold to feed the poor. They were indignant that Mary would spend so much on perfume that was just poured out on the feet of Jesus. And again, why not use the money for the poor? Good question. We'll talk about that here in a minute. So why did Mary do this? Because she'd had an encounter with him. Remember, Jesus had just recently raised Lazarus from the dead. And again, if you think about it, this is the only time in history that two men who would be raised from the dead ate at the same table. (laughs) That's kind of interesting. Lazarus had been dead and raised. Jesus would be raised. So again, it was an utter, utterly remarkable occasion. When Mary saw Jesus raise her brother, it revealed to her, and here's the thing, it revealed to her that Jesus was so much more than just a teacher or a prophet. Because she was there when he said, move the stone out of the way. And she was there when she heard them protest and say, surely he stinks by now. She was there when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And when he stood and he commanded Lazarus that death had to let go of him, and he came out bound and he said, loose him and let him go, it did something for her. It settled in her heart and her mind that this man was not just an ordinary man. He wasn't just a good teacher, a skilled craftsman at his oratory abilities, that this man indeed was and he is the son of God. She knew that he had power and authority that could only come from God. And Mary's gift didn't seem extravagant to her. In the, four God, in the Old Testament, there are four people or four groups that were anointed. You had the kings, you had the prophets, you had the priests, and then you had the dead. Jesus fits the first three categories or first three groups. And in a few days, he's going to join the fourth group. So it seems to me that Mary understood Jesus better than his trusted disciples did, that they, she saw him as he truly was. He was a king, he was a prophet, he was a priest, and he was soon going to be a dead man that would be raised back to life again. I like this, Warren Wiersbe, whom I like to read many of his books, he points out that Mary takes center stage three times in the New Testament. So Mary of Bethany, this is not the only encounter that we have with her. She actually is, is represented three other times in the New Testament. And all three times, here's what he notes, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, she's at the feet of Jesus. She wants to hear the words of Jesus. In John chapter 11, she wants to experience the works of the Lord. And in John chapter 12, she wants to declare the worth of the Lord. That's Mary. She wasn't there to eat the meal. She wasn't there to fellowship with the others. She did not come to ask questions or to sit and listen. She came to give Jesus the very best that she had. And the very best she had was an expensive jar of perfume that she probably felt wasn't even worth enough to lavish on Jesus. See, her desire was to honor Jesus, and it moved her to violate the customs of the day I mean, a woman, number one, in that culture would normally not sit at a man's feet, much less let down her hair in public and certainly not wipe his feet with her hair. So it was, in a sense, a very private act that others got to watch. You ever wanted to be a fly on the wall in something, some event or what have you? That's kind of what this story is about. This is a private moment Between this lady who has the realization that this is not an ordinary man, it is an expression of her worship. And we get to be the fly on the wall watching this unfold. When Judas Judas objects to Mary's anointing of Jesus' feet with the expensive perfume, I love how Jesus responded in verse 7. He said, leave her alone. Leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. Listen, I can imagine that Jesus spoke with such commanding authority when he said, leave her alone. They knew he meant business, leave her alone. The comment that he makes there in verse 7 would not have made sense, make much sense at that moment because they didn't really understand. Again, they were ignorant of what he'd been trying to tell them for three and a half years that Mary was perceptive to. The disciples would not understand the fact that she kept it for his burial until after the crucifixion. Then they would probably remember what he said. Does it mean that she had special knowledge about his upcoming death? Well, maybe because, I mean, he had been, it wasn't a secret, right? I mean, read the Gospels, it wasn't a secret. He'd been telling them all along that that's what he was going to do. Maybe she had some sort of intuition. I don't know. Women tend to be spiritually very perceptive. No doubt she sensed the gathering clouds of hatred and opposition. She'd realized that you know Jesus was unique. He didn't fit in. In fact, the Bible says of Jesus that that the crowds would even attest that no one spoke like this man before. He spoke as a man that had authority. Nobody nobody could command the attention that Jesus could when he spoke. People listened. I mean, he was the first E. F. Hutton ever around. When he spoke, people tuned in to listen to what he had to say. I mean, he, he again he didn't fit in, even though they called him Rabbi, teacher. He didn't fit in with the modern Pharisees and the other religious leaders. I mean, no man who hung out with drunkards and prostitutes and was called a friend of sinners could last very long in that climate of the religious elite. He touched a leper and and allowed a a prostitute to touch him. So maybe Mary is just simply looking around, observing what's going on and saying, you know what? He's not going to be very long in this world I mean, he's hanging out with the wrong crowd. He's not hanging out with the rich and the famous and the elites of society. He's hanging out with the down and outers. They're going to off him. Listen, this type of true love can't be explained. Even when you see it, we don't understand it. Judas, Judas had a good point, right? So what? Love has its reasons, and those reasons can't always be spelled out. I'm getting to a point. What can we say about Mary? Here's what we say about Mary. She's all in. She's all in. There's so many people today that want to dabble in faith and dabble in religion. And and I say that loosely. I'm talking about relationship with Christ. They want to dabble at it. And then they want to complain because they're not living fulfilled lives. Well, listen, if you dabble at it, you're never going to be fulfilled. The Christian faith is not one to be dabbled with. It's one to be all in, and Mary was all in. She was fully committed, and she doesn't care what anybody else thinks. When David gets ready to bring the Ark of the Covenant back from Obed-Edom's house in the Old Testament, the second time when he learned his lesson, what does the Bible say he does? He strips off his priestly garments, and he strips down to the, his plain common ephod, the, 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 the underwear of that day. And he goes dancing before the Lord. He didn't care. His wife gets ticked off at him says, look at you making a show of yourself, the king in all his mighty glory. It wasn't for her. It wasn't for the nation. David was doing what David was called to do, and that was worship his God. See, that's when you're all in, you don't care. You don't care what anybody else thinks. She was fully committed. And I'm sure she heard the remarks of Judas. I mean, I would, I, would, I would just assume that she did. And the others, she probably heard, but it didn't bother her. Listen, a, mo- a woman who would take a bottle of $45,000 perfume and break it on, uh, on and pour it out on Jesus' feet and wipe his feet with his hair, she's not worried about what other people think. She didn't care. Mary's gift to Jesus was so extravagant and so radical that his top men could not understand it. They couldn't wrap their brain around it. I thought... A thought comes to mind is this. If, if, think about it like this. If my faith never causes me to do anything to make no sen- that makes no sense to other people, including my Christian friends, maybe I'm playing it too safe. You ever thought about that? If my faith never causes me to do things that make no sense to others, then maybe I'm playing it too safe. Now, I'm not saying act a fool. That's not what I'm implying. I'm saying sometimes when you're all in, you want to show and express your love and, 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 uh, and appreciation to, to the Lord in ways that many people may not understand. And I think today we get so worried about what somebody's going to think. Listen, I understand. We've got a, we live in a time today where people seem to be so self-focused that they'll disrupt a the service because they have a right to worship this way or express it. Listen, I believe that we have mature men and women that if something was out of order, we can, we can handle that. But I love seeing our youth jump up and worship the Lord. And I, 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 I love that expression. I love seeing people with their hands raised and waving an offering of, uh, uh, to the Lord. I love seeing that. Pure from the heart. She didn't care what anybody thought. You know, I think sometimes I have to stop and say, you know what, Lord, am I playing it too safe? The world would say that Mary was a fool. To do what she did. I wonder sometimes, what would the world say about me? Second thing is this I got to hurry. Why was Judas so upset? Remember, two characters, Mary and Judas. Why was he so upset? Well, verse 4 through 6 says, Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him, said, Why isn't this fragrant oil sold for 300 denarii given to the poor? And I love the way the Bible points out he said this not because he was interested in the poor, because he was a thief. He was a thief. He wasn't wasn't concerned about the poor. Now, now, regarding this, two things to keep in mind. Number one, Judas isn't yet the Judas that we know him to be, at least in the sense of betrayer, because he hadn't betrayed Jesus yet. Okay, so this is before the betrayal. John says that Judas was about to betray Jesus. So Mary anoints Jesus on Saturday night. Judas will betray Jesus in five days. So he's not the bad guy that he's about to become when he makes his objection. Number two, when Matthew and Mark tell the story, again, they both point out that many, probably most of them, other disciples had the same objection. Judas was the only one to say anything. So so again, at this point in the story, nobody has any reason to believe what's happening or what's going to happen. Uh, here's the objection. Remember, 300 denarii is nine months' salary. It could be worth anywhere from thirty-five dollars to $45,000. Where did Mary get the money to buy that expensive nard. Well, no one knows and doesn't make sense to even speculate, okay? Don't even need to use the brain cells. She has it. What can't be denied was that her gift that she used that night was radical and in the eyes of the disciples, it was reckless. Why waste the perfume pouring on the feet of Jesus? Why not give it to the poor? Here's what Jesus does. His response actually welcomes her extravagance. Says, leave her alone. She has kept it for the day of my burial. And here's what he says: For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, at first glance, that might seem a little bit callous, as though Jesus didn't care about the poor. But that's not. That's not. That's reading too much into it. He's alluding to what Deuteronomy 15:11 says. There will never cease to be poor people in the land. That is why I'm commanding you, you must willfully open your hand to your afflicted and poor brother in your land. He, he was like, look, they're always going to be with you. And I've already commanded you to take care of them. To him who knows to do good and he does it not, that is to them sin. Again, Jesus, I, I think what Jesus was saying is, look, don't use your phony compassion as an excuse to criticize Mary for her gift. Do you get that? Don't use your phony compassion about, oh, we should have given it to the poor to criticize the lady for giving such an extravagant gift. Part of the lesson in this thing tonight is sometimes we just need to stay in our lane, mind our business. If somebody wants to offer to a Lord something extravagant, to you it might be extravagant. To them it may not even be worth very much to give to him anyway. Listen, he's always saying, look, you're always, you always have opportunity to take care of them. Nothing's stopping you from taking your money and giving it to them right now. And again, I think when you look at that, seeing Jesus, it's a rebuke and a challenge. And the rebuke is this, spend your own money on the poor. Stop criticizing Mary for showing such an amazing devotion to me. The reality is this, whenever, whenever someone becomes extravagant in their worship, listen to me, the devil always stirs up trouble. Whenever someone gets extravagant in their worship, he always stirs up trouble. It's not surprising that as Mary worships, Jesus, excuse me, Judas speaks up and tries to ruin this beautiful moment. It truly was the root behind it was Satan trying to challenge, actually Satan was trying to change the subject. She's expressing great worship. To the one who's worthy, he's trying to change the subject and talk about the poor. If he can't stop our worship, you know what he'd do? He'd get us to start arguing among ourselves. And we start arguing among ourselves, guess what? Then we stop worshiping altogether and we spend the rest of our time arguing. The devil hates extravagant worship. I mean, think about it. what happened when the wise men came to Jesus in Matthew and brought their gold, frankincense, and myrrh? What happened? What happened to them then? The next thing we read, Herod set out to kill the baby Jesus. Started killing all the baby boys. Why? Because they were extravagant in their worship. See, the fundamental difference between Mary and Judas, Mary loved Jesus, Judas loved money. That's the difference. She loved Jesus, he loved money. And I think even even today, you know, I've often heard that in our giving to the Lord, and and we all understand the concept of giving and that we can never outgive the Lord, but some people want to give by calculation, others by revelation. And there's a big difference there. There's a big difference there. See, Jesus was clearly pleased that Mary had showed such love. Doesn't conflict with taking care of the poor. He said, hey, they're always going to be with you. You always have the opportunity to take care of the poor. But in this case, Mary chose the better part, even though these men thought she was crazy for doing what she did. Here's what Mary did, and I've got to bring this home. Mary showed her uninhibited devotion to Jesus without restraint, without restriction. She worshiped the one who's worthy. So let me give you five takeaways from this lesson. Number one, true love can't be explained. It can only be observed. Can't be explained. If you were to ask Mary why she did what she did, she probably could not articulate very well why she did what she did. But from her heart, she pours out the very best that she has. You know, as we move into the holiday season here in a couple months, can't believe we're talking about Christmas. One of my favorite Christmas songs is The Little Drummer Boy. And it talks about what he doesn't have to give to the king. He doesn't have the extravagant stuff to give, but what he does have. Shall I play for him? My drum. That's what he has. See, Jesus never asks us for what we don't have, he always asks for what we do have. And I think sometimes we get more concerned about what we don't have, and that prohibits us or hinders us from using what we do have. So true love can't be explained, it can only be observed. Sometimes you look across on a Sunday morning. And you may see people with tears streaming down their face. That's their worship. It may be born out of a sacrifice of praise, but that's their worship. And you may not feel like crying. Well, don't cry. But they might. Number two, if we become radical in our love for Jesus, our close friends will probably not really understand us. That's, just a, that's a truism right there if there ever was one. Not everybody understands sold out. Today with so much compromise and lukewarmness in the the body of Christ to be sold out, to be radical in our love, a lot of people won't understand. Number three, if my love for Jesus never leads me to take a risk, how much do I really love him then? How much do I really love him if it doesn't require me to take a risk? Number four, there are times when we have to act even if no one joins us. Sometimes in worship, you might be the loner. That's okay. If you're pouring it out to him, it's, it's worth. Don't expect everybody to jump in on your parade. Because sometimes it might just be you. Number five, we should never criticize those who express their love for the Lord differently than we do. Your forte may not be with your hands raised. Your forte may not be, you know, like the kid. I'd I'd be so sick jumping up and down like some of those kids do. You know, I don't think my knees could hold up to that. (laughs) But you know what? It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. Again, I I do believe that if there's distractions and and things that get kind of chaotic, there are people that can help put that in order. Listen, I've always said worship should never should never impede your worship should never impede somebody else's worship. You should never worship in a way that distracts other people from their worship. That's the way I feel. But you know what? Don't criticize those who worship different than you. I I pastored a the very first church I pastored was what we called a BMF church in, in Germany I was when I was in the military. And it was uh primarily to the military guys. Uh, It was on Simbach Air Base there in Kaiserslautern, Germany. And I remember one night we were doing, uh, we were going to do communion in the service, and I had men that were on the leadership team. Again, I was probably 22. I was so young. (laughs) And uh, my wife always said I was a hothead, and and I know that's kind of hard to believe. But uh, we were doing communion, and one of the guys that was on the leadership team, I as as had been my custom for many years, I have them serve the body, and then I serve them. And so when I started serving them, this guy refused. And it made me mad. And he goes, sits, sits down, and we're having a little bit of worship before the communion. And he sits there with his arms folded so stoically. I didn't call it stoic at that time. And he just sat there. And in my mind, I'm thinking, God, do something with this guy. I mean, he's sitting there like a knot on a log, and we're here worshiping and having an intimate moment with you, and he's sitting there like he's just, just so far. And the Lord chastised me and said, don't you ever judge somebody for their level of worship. That man can worship with his arms folded as well as that one can worship with their arms raised. And I had to step back and like, whoa, wait, you know, then then you start doing the backstroke. (laughs) Lord, 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 be careful. Here's the thing. We're going to wrap up with this verse, not found in John, but found in Matthew. Chapter 26, verse 13. Wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told in memory of her. Think about that. As Jesus spoke those words, the fragrance of that perfume was filling the house. Eventually, it probably oozed out of the house, spread to the nearby houses. Soon, the whole, uh, soon everyone would know what Mary had done with this extravagant gift. She did it for Jesus, but everybody benefited from it because they smelled the aroma. And Jesus said, you know what? What she's done here, even though they've criticized her and even though they have said things about her, and called her wasteful, it will be remembered until I come back. Jesus was impressed. Won't you stand with me tonight as we close? Mary's encounter with Jesus caused her to be all in. And her mindset of being all in, she only knew one thing. Listen, it's 110, all in. She didn't try to hold anything back. She didn't try to dabble at it and play at it. She just went all in. And the thing is, I found, what I found in, in, in my many years of walking with the Lord is that people who tend to have the true joy of the Lord are people who have gone all in. They're people that stand on the periphery, that look in, and they say the right things, and they occasionally do the right things, but they've never tapped into that abundant life that Jesus described in John ten ten simply because they've not gone all in. And, and, and I don't know the reason for that maybe because somebody accused him of being fanatical would you think that she would have been fanatical they probably thought she was fanatical you're nuts I mean you're taking almost a year's salary and you're giving it you're pouring it out on his stinky feet they thought it was extravagant she thought it wasn't even enough again she did. she wasn't content just to pour it out on his feet She took down her hair and wiped his feet because that $45,000 bottle of perfume wasn't too much for her Lord. She had to do some more. So let me ask, don't you bow with me as we close in prayer. I I hesitate. Here's what I'm going to say. If you're here tonight and say, you know what? I need liberty in my worship. Again, I'm not talking about acting a fool, okay? We got enough people to do that. <laughs> we, we, we don't need that kind of stuff. I'm talking about being authentic in your worship. Not just going through the motions. Listen, we're good church people. We, we got it all figured out. We've got it all programmed in how to be good church-going people and got it all figured out when to raise our hand and when to nod. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a genuine, heartfelt worship of the Lord that's not predicated on what anybody else does. Maybe here tonight say, you know, Pastor, I, I really want some liberty in my worship. I, I don't want to be robotic in it. I want to be authentic. I want to be authentic with the Lord. If you're online, if you'll comment, say, we'll pray with you. How about it tonight? Anybody here? Nobody looking around? Just look in, right right back down. So, Pastor, pray for me. I want to find that experience. I want to experience that. Just that freedom. Amen. Father, tonight I love you so much and I thank you. I thank you for the encounter of Mary of Bethany. Well, what a beautiful story. This story has been memorialized and been told and preached about since the time that she did it. And it's a lesson to us. It's a lesson of what it means to go all in. That when we, what we feel is extravagant, what others feel is extravagant to us may not be very much of anything. Except a heartfelt worship of you. I pray for the hands that went up and those online tonight that said, you know, I really want to find that liberty in my worship. I want to connect with you in a way i am not connected before. Lord, I-, I know that you're striving with us. You said you not always will, but you are right now. You're contending with us. And you said if you'll draw near to me, I'll draw near to you. I pray, Father, that we would, Lord, take that to heart, that truly as we, as we move closer to you, you move closer to us. Lord, there's that relationship that you're wanting to cultivate and to build. Lord, help us in our worship to never become so robotic and mechanical that we factor out that encounter with you. And Lord, I pray that tonight as we dismiss that that, that truly is, is our heart's desire is to have an encounter with you that alters us for the rest of our lives. Lord, we're not talking fanaticism. We're just talking about all in. Just being all in. Lord, no reservations. Lord, no holding back. Just jumping into the deep of who you are. And we're relying completely and totally upon you. Now, Father, I ask you to go with us tonight and give us a great night. And may we contemplate these things that we talked about tonight with Mary's encounter. Lord, may we desire and seek an encounter with you that will change us and transform us. Give us a restful night, I pray. May we wake up rejuvenated. Uh, Lord, put a spring in our step and a song in our heart. Lord, put people in our pathway that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ. Uh, thank you for it now. On Sunday, I ask you ordain what's going to take place. Bring people... That, from the north, the south, the east, and the west that need an encounter with you. I love and bless each one now in the mighty name of Jesus. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you, and I love you very much.